With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Way. Back with you another episode of our View from the Clock End podcast. I'm joined, as always, by Chief London Arsenal writer Kai Karnak. How are you doing, mate? You good, Joel? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Nice win over the weekend for Arsenal, which always makes things a lot better. So, yeah, doing really good here. Thank you. How about you? Yeah, likewise. Uh, it's always good to have a, a nice win. That said, I, I didn't enjoy the game loads, weirdly. It just, like, I enjoyed the goals, but it was quite a dull game. <laughs> it was like, was it? Yeah, I think Sheffield United yeah. did their, their utmost to make it a, a, a stinker of a match. I mean, you know, they were one of the worst teams I've seen come to the Emirates in the Premier League. Mm. And I think it just it took a long time to break them down. And even once you did break them down, it was it was never a thrilling game because Sheffield never came out of their own box, really. So it was always just a case of attack versus defence, which is never the most enthralling of, of things to watch. No, it's not. Um, it was, uh, yeah, the first half in particular was, was very dull. And thankfully, Arsenal got a goal and a breakthrough before half-time. Otherwise, it could have been going on for a, a worrying period. But thankfully, that, yeah, that deadlock was broken by Eddie Nketiah, who stole the headlines, of course, uh, for his performance. A hat-trick, a first Premier League hat-trick for him. Uh, it's not his first Arsenal hat-trick. Of course, he had that one against Sunderland, uh, of course, in the, in the League Cup. And he's had a couple, I think, for the England under-21s uh, as well. So uh, he was quick to point that out, actually, in the mix. So when somebody asked him if that was his first match ball, and he was like, no, no, I have scored hat-tricks before. So, uh, yeah, he's still very, very happy. And he was buzzing after the game. I, I particularly enjoyed Peter, the, uh, the stadium DJ's choice of music after the game. That was also <laughs> excellent, excellent choosing because uh, when he's in the room, your defence is in trouble. Uh, what did you make of his performance? Yeah, I think, listen, when Eddie's name was named on the team sheet, I think there was a lot of negativity. And there always is whenever Eddie seems to get picked for Arsenal. Um, I guess that stems from the fact that lots of people still aren't very convinced by him. They they have, I think, you know, legitimate concerns about his shortcomings as a striker. But I think what people forget when it comes to Eddie Nketiah and, and what's so impressive about him is there's not very many players who can do this backup striker role that he's doing as well as he does it. And it's not an easy role to do. It's not easy to, to know that even if you train to your hardest level, that chances are, if Gabriel Jesus is fit, you're not going to play up front. And I think when you've got that in the back of your mind, to still show that professionalism, to turn up every single day, to give it your all, to to really, you know, our test says he trains like a madman consistently. And to, to be able to do that and to get yourself into a position where you're ready to to perform in games like he did in this one, I think, you know, that, that he deserves a lot of credit for that. And to be honest, I think we all looked at this sort of game and, and, and thought, well, this is an Eddie Nketiah game. This is the kind of game you play Eddie Nketiah in against these 
you know, lower teams at home. This is the kind of game where he's going to thrive and he duly delivered. And generally in these types of situations where you say that's an Eddie game, or that's the kind of game where you think Eddie would do well, he tends to deliver. And his, his record when starting the season is one in two, which is very impressive. Obviously, the hat-trick does slightly skew that, but it's still an impressive record. And I think people are maybe a little bit too quick to, to jump on his back. I think there's very few strikers in the Arsenal team who would score the first two goals that he does. Jesus, I can't see him scoring that type of sort of hanging around the penalty spot, waiting for that Declan Rice pass. Jesus instead, I think, would be elsewhere trying to build the ball up. All the kind of poachers instinct that he shows with the with the second goal. And then obviously the third goal is a moment of quality and is, I think, by far his furthest out ever goal for Arsenal. And I think it just, I think people get too critical of Eddie. And that for me stems from the fact that they don't appreciate what he is rather than what he isn't. And he's probably not going to become anyone's favourite first choice Arsenal striker during his time at Arsenal. And that's not for him doing anything wrong. He does have certain shortcomings. But if you sort of learn to love the player that he is and appreciate the player that he is, you realise that Arsenal, from their academy, for free, by the way, have got a player who's going to come in, start maybe 15, 20 games a season and probably end up with about 10 goals. That's very difficult to find. You know, teams spend 40, 50 million on players just to find that kind of quality. Yeah, without a doubt. And I think that, you know, Eddie has continually battled against the, the view that he's not obviously ready to be Arsenal's leading striker for, forever. He's now, I think, what, 24? You know, he's yeah. he's reached 23, 24. He's reaching an age where, you know, you are, you are expected to deliver at a Premier League level week in, week out for a team. And he's not had the opportunity necessarily given to him because Arsenal have always had somebody ahead of him in the pecking order. But when he's started games he tends to deliver i was looking at the stats uh this morning you know and he has a better non-penalty goal per start ratio in the last three seasons than ivan tony like and i know that tony obviously hasn't played this season but when you're averaging it across the seasons and across the games they have played um he's scoring a, a better rate uh disregarding penalties, of course, than somebody that a lot of Arsenal fans would love to see, you know, signed by the club. Um, and I think that's important. I think that, you know, his, his record, it's not just the case of him scoring at Sheffield United. He scored goals against Manchester United. He scored goals at Stamford Bridge. You know, he has turned up in big games for Arsenal. So it's not just a case of who the opponent was either. And I think all the goals that he scored, you know, on Saturday demonstrated his quality. It wasn't to do with bad defending. It was a great touch and finish for the first. It was a great finish for the second. And, you know, what can you say about his third? It was an amazing strike. And I actually asked him, obviously, about that after the game. Um, you know, if the, if the first two goals gave him the con confidence to take that on. But he said, no, it's just practice. And he's been practicing those types of efforts. And that, do you think variety is maybe something that would get more fans on his side? Because he's known as being a guy that's going to be reliable in the box, around the six-yard box and finish those chances. But if he can add more variety to his game, I think that might endear a lot many more supporters to him. Maybe. But again, I think that sort of falling into the trap of focusing on what he's not. And I mm. think Eddie's strengths are in the box. And if you've got a player who's really good in the box at finishing chances in the box, which, by the way, is the, the hardest thing in football to do, if mm. you've got a player who can do that, then I don't think you necessarily want them on the edge of the box trying to smash it in from 30 yards. I'm happier seeing Eddie Nketiah in the 18-yard box, um, even in the six-yard box, that I think one of his goals came from, um, trying to poach in and, and tap in a few there. And, you know, if it gives him the confidence, I think personally, you know, he's maybe being a bit sort of... Um, a bit humble, maybe not humble, but sort of hiding the truth there in answer to your question, because I feel like it was definitely a case of if he hadn't scored those first two goals, there's no way he's trying that shot from 30 yards. I don't think I've ever seen any shoot from that far out. I think he's more of a guy who's he's, he's better in the box. And Yeah, I think his strengths lie in the box. I don't think he needs to change who he is as a player. I think Mikel Arteta loves him as a player, and I think he's got strengths, and he is improving. We forget that 
two, three years ago, his hold-up play, his link-up play was not particularly a strength of his, but it has got so much better under his time with Mikel Arteta. And he's scoring goals, he's starting in the Premier League, he's an England striker now. I think maybe people just need to, you know, accept that he's a he's a decent striker. He's never going to be, I don't think, that first choice, the answer for Arsenal going forward. But you don't, not every player has to be sort of, I don't know, if you go back to the invincibles, not every player has to be Thierry Henry. You need your Will Tours, you need your Carnies, you need those guys who can come in and add, you know, a few goals off the bench. If you want to build a team, no team is just based on their one striker. Even, you know, City have, um, Alvarez is obviously a higher standard than Nketiah, but they have their backup striker who comes in and scores goals and, you know, is, is willing to take those limited opportunities. There's very few teams in world football who have strikers who can do that. So I think, yeah. It's Neddy loving on this show, and I think he probably deserves it. I think Alvarez is the ex- the only example of maybe a backup striker that's better than Eddie as a in that position. You know, I'm trying Ooh. to think across the league if there's a, another club. I mean, obviously yeah, Liverpool yeah, have one striker, so um, Liverpool have a number of versatile forwards who could arguably play. Yeah. You know, Jota and Gakpo and Nunez and Salo's played there too, but it's an out and out number nine. It's difficult, you know, to see, you know, who who would be a, a better number two well, over now. Let's, let's put it this way: Spurs spent years trying to find a backup for Harry Kane. They end up spending mm. sixty million on Richarlison, who has not turned out to be of the sufficient quality that not they better need. Than the I wouldn't no. say so at the moment. And you know, those kind of players are very, very difficult to find. And I think when you look at that and you think realistically about how difficult it is to find a player who can provide competition and can come in and start and maintain the level. Because Arsenal are top, uh, are not top of the league, second top of the league. And Eddie Nketiah started eight out of the 10 games this season. So I think that tells you that he's been playing to a pretty high standard and that Arsenal have been able to, they've not been catastrophic because he's been playing these games. So I think, yeah, people just need to maybe take a step back and try and see the situation for what it is and, and appreciate Nketiah for his strengths rather than necessarily focusing on his weaknesses. You know, Nketiah scored more Premier League goals in that one game than Richarlison has in his last two seasons for Spurs. <laughs> So that's, uh, yeah, 60 million quid gets you two goals. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's kind of crazy. And that's what I'm saying. 65 million pounds for Tony. I'm not sure that's the pathway for me for Arsenal. And uh, when you've got Nketiah delivering what he's delivering, I think that's that's something to celebrate and focus on, as I think we have here. Other aspects of the game, uh, obviously, Martin Odegaard didn't start. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about why that was in a bit. But in his place, uh, Mikel Arteta went with two other attacking midfielders in, in Havertz and Smith-Rowe. What did you make of their contributions to the game? Um, I said this in my player ratings that for, for those guys, I think in these kind of situations, it's it's difficult because the, the onus is on them to try and break down a really stubborn Sheffield United defence. But I just wanted to see them maybe grab the ball by the horns a little bit more and, and take the initiative of the game. But this is very much nitpicking and I don't think any of them did anything wrong. I thought Smith had a couple of good moments in the box. Havertz looked really, you know, really motivated to score his goal, very nearly did. I wondered if he might take the penalty again instead of Fabio Vieira. And all those kind of things were going on. And, you know, I don't think either of them played badly. And I think, you know, both of them were definitely within a, with, with, in with a chance, sorry, of starting against um, West Ham and, you know, potentially getting into starting 11 against Newcastle if, if that's what Mikel Arteta decides. I think, you know, their performances there. With Smithborough in particular, I think Arteta's starting to elevate his minutes a bit more, starting to use him a bit more. And I think we're starting to see him ramp up in terms of his importance to the squad. So that's a good thing. Havertz is proving that, you know, a few decent cameos against Chelsea and City, He's got something to offer and he was pretty good in Seville, I thought, when he came on there. So nothing wrong, per se, with either of their performances. I just want to see them maybe grabbing the initiative a little bit more and thinking, this is my chance, this is my game, I'm going to make the difference. And 
I think Smith Rowe in particular has that in his locker. I think he's such a talented player. And listen, all the all the caveats of you know barely had any minutes coming back from injury, um, you know all those kind of things. Very disruptive rhythm of play. But I just think that hopefully we'll see this against West Ham if he does play, and we'll come onto that a little bit more. But um, yeah, hopefully we'll see him grab the ball by the horns because I think he's a really talented player and has something to offer Arsenal this this season. So that performance it left a little bit to desire little bit to be desired as far as I'm concerned, but I don't think that's necessarily too much of a slight on him. I know there's more to come from him as well. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Yeah, and I think the same goes for, for Havertz as well. I felt, I'm obviously disappointed that maybe they didn't take the initiative as much as maybe they could, especially in a game which Arsenal dominated so much of the ball. And you always want to see a bit more. You want to see, you know, I, have the, I feel like the first time Havertz really called for the ball was that moment in the last kick of the game where he got that pass fed through and he, he took the shot. He was really calling for the ball in that moment as he made that run. And I just want to see more direct running and more kind of initiative, I suppose, you know, in attacking play and, and taking ownership of the ball in certain situations and, and being maybe a bit riskier in situations where he can be. I know he wants to get the basics right and we've been calling him for him to kind of maybe build up some confidence by doing the basics, but I think he's done that and now you can start to build up by being maybe a little bit more adventurous with, with your play. I'm, I imagine he will also be involved in the game on Wednesday against West Ham and so hopefully we can see some improvements from him. Um, Fabio Vieira obviously got the fourth, uh, scoring a penalty and congratulations to, to him and his other half on the... Uh, the imminent, is it imminent birth or birth? It's happened it's happened already, yeah. I think it's happened. It's happened yeah. So uh, he's just not been able to celebrate, really, you know, a goal in that sense with that way so far. So it's been delayed. But congratulations to to Fabio and, and his other half in that sense. But the fifth goal scorer, Takira Tomiyasu, I want to focus on him in particular because I think it's a goal that's it rewards what has been a very good season for him so far. Obviously, there's a lot of talk about um, new contracts. There was talk about, uh, you know, turning down a, an offer from Inter Milan in the summer. And I think Arteta and the club, and now certainly plenty more supporters are starting to realise just what an asset he can be for this team. Yeah, I don't think Mikel Arteta necessarily ever doubted it. He's always been a champion of Takira Tomiyasu and he's he's chosen to play him in big games, even last season when he wasn't at his best. And it was Tommy Asa who he chose to go for in that home game against Manchester City. And, and we all know he made the error, but I think it spoke to how much Mikel Arteta rates Takira Tommy Asa, who is probably the best 1v1 defender in this Arsenal squad and probably the most defensively solid option that he has amongst any of his defenders in the back line. And that says a lot. And we all know how good he is defensively. He is, I spoke to him over the summer in the States and he admitted that, you know, he's, he was struggling with confidence last season and, and Ben White coming to right back and, taking his place and him not being able to get fit and he said he was starting to not be able to trust in his body and he was going out in games you know maybe a bit fearful that he was going to get injured and all that was going on in the back of his mind and obviously now we've we've, we've learned that sadly is his mother passed away during that time as well so you can only imagine what um sort of would have been going through his head and we, we never know sort of the full story when it comes to these players and confidence is such an important thing and I think you saw it with with the way the goal was celebrated and the way everybody was keen to sort of go and give him sort of a, a pat on the back because Tommy Asu clearly is one of the most loved players in this Arsenal squad and I think that's because of his professional approach and he's he's a quiet guy he's never going to be someone who grabs the headlines but 
I think Arteta has sort of reiterated how much he loves him and he's trusting him more and more in these big games. He started two Champions League games in a row. And as well as, you know, the defensive contributions, he is starting to offer a bit more in the final third. We all remember, you know, the, the knockdown against Man City, but against Sevilla, I thought he was really good going forward from left back and obviously grabbed his goal, but he had, you know, a couple of decent chances earlier before his goal even. Um, there was that half volley, I think, that he hit it just wide in the game against Sheffield United. So Tommy Asu is a player who, when he's up on his full confidence, which is where I think he's getting to now, he's, he's, a, he's such an asset to this Arsenal squad. And listen, you know, Ben White and, and Alex Zinchenko, they, they won't be certain of their place. And I think that's a massive boost for Arsenal because it keeps them playing at a certain level. And you think Yuri and Tim is going to come back into that group. Arsenal's defence, I think, as far as I'm concerned, is, is depth-wise the strongest part of their squad. So Tommy Ashley playing well is only making them stronger. And I think it's really nice to see because he's clearly a really well-liked guy. And, you know, you, you, you like to see it. You like to see good things happening to good people. Yeah, I mean, I think if you polled who Arsenal fans would like to see start the game against Newcastle, which you look at certainly one of the most tough tests we've got coming up in the next few weeks i think the majority would choose him to start at left back you know uh, over zinchenko in that position because he was so good against Sevilla. um he came on at a really good game against chelsea as well um and i think has demonstrated that when you're going up against a side that's got threat in the offensive third and obviously he offers going forwards clearly as he's shown with his goal uh, at the weekend as well what he can offer so yeah i, I think that he's really posi positioned himself fantastically with the form that he's got um now i think that you guys can position yourself those listening uh with some additional knowledge about the women's game because I can tell you that Reach are offering a wall-to-wall -wall magazine full of new content uh, from our writers talking about women's football. And of course, for those that are big fans of the Gunners, there's plenty on the Arsenal women's team as well. You know, Thinking about what we're going to see with Viv Miedemar coming back to full fitness, Beth Mead, of course, returning too, and hopefully in the coming weeks and months, uh, Leah Williamson as well as Jonas Idaval tries to get back into the action and get back up that table in the WSL after disappointment, of course, in, well, I say pre-season. It didn't feel like pre-season when we got knocked out of the Champions League qualification route, but uh, hopefully more positive things can come from the Arsenal women's team this year. So please do go to the link down in today's video and podcast description and get your hands on that magazine. It's exciting still, Kai, you know, this season. I know there's not Champions League football, but the WSL is going to offer up plenty for us to, to get excited about this year. Yeah, definitely. Jonas Eidevel has got a really exciting team going. He's, he's trying a lot of new things with this Arsenal squad early doors. It's quite interesting tactically to watch how he's bringing in Alessia Russo and Viv Miedemar is obviously coming back and Beth Mead's come back. And as you say, hopefully not too long until Leah Williamson's back. And there's, there's a lot of strength and depth in that Arsenal squad. And with no European football, yes, there's obviously a massive blow from that, but it means they can really focus on going for the WSL this season. And it's not been the best of starts to their season so far, but I think they'll fancy their chances of, of launching a title challenge and hopefully dethroning Chelsea because it, it's been a while. Someone needs to do that. They do, indeed. At the moment, Man City sitting top of the WSL, who Arsenal face, uh, of course, on the 5th, I think the 5th uh, of October. So exciting times coming forward. So get yourself clued up on everything to do with that with our Wall to Wall magazine, which you can find down in, as I say, the link in the description. Um, looking ahead and after this game in the context of what it means then um, as well, obviously, Arsenal moved back to, to second. Man City did get a big win against Man United, but because of goals scored, uh, Arsenal are ahead of them. And the kind of final point to talk about with this game, and, and I want to talk about the injury style, well, not injuries, but kind of the Odegaard stuff as well. But before I come on to that, the, I do find it interesting that all the talk around Arsenal this season was that they've not been as fluid, not looked as good as what they did last at the start of last season. And yet... We have more goals than Man City have this season. Uh, and I know we had this big win, but we've had other big wins against PSV and Bournemouth. So how would you make about the, the context surrounding that? Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think I'd think i say Man City certainly haven't looked as good as they did towards the end of last season. <laughs> but 
I don't think it, I've not been too concerned about the. Um, yeah, I think we'd all agree that Arsenal haven't been at their best in terms of how good they were at the start of last season. They've not hit those standards yet. But surely that's a good thing of signs to come if they're still picking up results. And there's been a lot more chopping and changing this season, which makes things a lot more difficult in terms of a rhythm. And last season, we all knew the starting 11 more or less until the World Cup and then things changed after that. But that made things a lot more um, simple for Arsenal and made things a lot more simple for Arteta. And they were able to focus on just trying to get as high as they could in the lead and win as many games as they could. And then, you know, momentum started to build. This time around, there's been a lot more injuries. There's been a lot more disruption to that starting eleven, and, and they're still managing to find ways to score goals. And um, to be honest, I think the frustration from an Arsenal perspective has been, at home in particular, they've been conceding unnecessary goals due to silly mistakes. They have been able to score lots of goals. It's just been the defensive side of things in terms of errors that have cost them in big games. And probably the most satisfying thing, particularly about the second half performance against Sheffield United, was the only way Sheffield United were going to get back into that game was if Arsenal let them. And you know, you think back to the Fulham game, for example. Arsenal had that game, you know, comfortable. They were 2-1 up against 10 men. The only way they were going to get back in is if they let Fulham in. And, and they did that. And they didn't do that at the time against Sheffield United. They kicked on. They stayed focused. And they went all the way until the end to, to win. And it was interesting that Arteta had a conversation with his players before and just said, look, guys, I know you've had a tough run of fixtures with City, with Seville, with Chelsea. But, you know, if, if you're not on your game even a side as bad as Sheffield United in the Premier League, they can come and take points from you. And you don't want to be that side that loses points that they should have won on the way to losing out in a title race. And yes, Arsenal haven't been at their offensive standards from last season. But, you know, like you say, they keep scoring goals. They're scoring lots of goals. And offensively, they look a real threat. And when you consider the players who've been absent, Jesus, most of the season injured, Trossard absent for a lot of it, Martinelli absent for weeks, um, Saka's missed a game. Erdegaard's been struggling with injuries. We'll get onto in a little bit. Um, you know, it shows, it speaks to the depth of the squad they've got as well. And I think that's a really good sign for Arsenal going forward. Touched there on, on the Erdegaard um, situation. Obviously, Arteta in his post match press conference mentioned that he'd you know, been suffering a little bit recently. I spoke to Bukayo Saka after the game, in which he also very openly admitted uh, what he's going through. Uh, to give you the exact quote, he says, So he told me obviously he's playing with a bit of pain and it is somewhere in his hip, but obviously he is a guy that wants to give his best for the team. He's our leader, so he always wants to be out there on the pitch. So obviously, today he was given the rest, and we're happy that we were able to win the game without him. But we need him for the season and for the next coming game so I'm sure he'll be back and I hope he'll be back. He also talked about you know that he's not really concerned himself about his own burnout and I think that Erdegaard and Saka as a pair are kind of known for being the, the, the stalwarts of the 11 like you expect them to be in the Arsenal team week in week out Champions League, Premier League, Europa League wherever it was you expected them to be there especially in the knockout rounds of some of those competitions so do you feel as though how do you feel hearing those quotes obviously about Erdegaard's situation and maybe that explaining some of his perhaps poorer form of late, but also how Saka is in some ways just kind of overlooking the potential for burnout to happen. Yeah, I, th I think the Erdegaard quotes, I think, you know, for the Azilia time, provide a bit of a, a lesson that social media is a bit too quick to, to jump on players and a bit too quick to mm. judge without knowing the full picture. And I think it was it was a smart move to just, you know, label the, the problem that Erdogan has been suffering with and, and something that's sort of been known about in the background for a little while, but it's, it's been good to, to get it out there, I think, and just offer him a bit of protection because I think people were starting to question whether he's up to a certain standard or if he's if he's losing form. And listen, if you're trying to play at the level Martin Erdegaard normally does and you're playing at such a high standard, even the smallest little injury is going to cause you to, to be off your game. And I think he's clearly an excellent player. And I think, you know, I expect him to be rested against West Ham as well. And that should be hopefully what he needs to go in and put a really good performance in against 
Newcastle, he's obviously had a massive load as well with the Norwegian national team where he plays every single game, every single minute and you know doesn't get any rest. Much like Saka, who you mentioned there. And um, I'm, of, I'm of the opinion that um, Saka doesn't need to be rested, really. I, I know Arsenal fans you know, have their fears about it, but a lot of the injuries you get to are impact injuries and you can shake those off in a couple of days. Um, you know, we all, when we're playing five-a-side in the cages, we all get booted and we all sort of hobble around for a bit the day after, but we're all good to go in a couple of days' time. And you had Bukayo Saka's immense physicality and immense nutrition and recovery and his professionalism and all that kind of stuff. Those are the kind of things he, he can recover from. And he's a guy who's always desperate to play. So if he's happy to play, I don't think Mikel Arteta is necessarily the guy who's going to be like, well, no, nah, I don't want you to play. He's going to be someone who's saying, look, this is what you need to do to become one of the best. And I think probably one of the most easily comparable players to Bukayo Saka in the Premier League is Mohamed Salah. And he plays every single game. He does not get a rest. At Liverpool. Liverpool don't really have a backup for him. He plays every single game, scores almost every week, provides an assist almost every week. Champions League, Premier League, FA Cup, Carabao Cup, he's always there. And that's the standard that um, Bukayo Saka wants to reach. On top of all the club stuff that Salah does, he's a pillar for his national team. Saka wants to reach that, that standard as well. And that's what you have to do. No one was calling for Harry Kane to get rested when he was the Spurs sort of most important player. Um, you know, Haaland doesn't get rested that often. Every, every team has a player like that who will have to play almost every single game because he is their best player. And if he's fit, you play your best player. I don't expect him to start in the Carabao Cup, having said all of that, because I think you can rest him in certain games. But in games where there's a importance and stuff on the line, so every Premier League game, more or less every Champions League game, you could argue even some FA Cup games. I think you have to play Bukayo Saka. And I'm not of the opinion that you need to rest him. And I get why Arsenal fans are anxious about it because probably their last best academy product was Jack Wilshere and he was overplayed and... He suffered for that later in his career and Arsenal fans don't want that to happen again. But Saka says he's ready. And if he's ready, we have to trust him on that. Arteta also said he's ready. The Arsenal physio department is fantastic. They trust in him. They know what he's doing. And he's very diligent when it comes to following the instructions with the physio department, by the way. So all of that's going on. And I think that just makes it a lot easier for him to, to play these games every three days, four days. And, you know, I think physically he can do it. He's only 22. So this is the time of his career where he should be playing every three days, four days. And I think he can do it. Yeah, he's really proactive when it comes to, as you said, about the the medical responses and about what he can do in kind of the days after a game to, to maximise and, and speed up his recovery in some ways to, to do that in the best way possible. So, yeah, absolutely echo those thoughts. And hopefully, you know, we, we get him back to his best because I think that him and Odegaard, you know, we talk about the tiredness, we talk about maybe existing underlying issues that they've both been carrying. You know, if they, if they are playing at their top form, it's the best chance Arsenal have got of, of winning the title. So looking ahead to the game on Wednesday against West Ham, um, um, obviously, it's going to be intriguing to see how Arsenal rotate because they rotated for Sheffield United. You know, Kivior came in, Odegaard came out and Averts and Smith-Rowe came in for that game. Um, we don't have Jesus. We don't have Partey. Of course, Timber, we know, is out. So how much rotation are you expecting with this, with the reward of this game being a cup quarterfinal? Yeah, still a fair bit. So, yeah, I was surprised that Arteta chose to make a lot of the changes that he made against Sheffield United. You know, for example, I thought Smith-Rowe was going to start on Wednesday. I still do, but I thought, you know, if Smith-Rowe is going to start on Wednesday, maybe you leave him on the bench for Saturday. But Arteta decided that, you know, he wanted to trust his his squad players and he's, he's gone to do that and he's done very well with that. But looking through the changes, let's go through the 11, I guess. You'd expect Aaron Ramsdale to come back in for David Raya. I mean, it'd be ridiculous if he doesn't after everything that's been going on and... I think, you know, there's a there's a case if, if Ramsdale plays really well. Ryan did nothing wrong on, on Saturday, but he had literally nothing to do the entire game. So I think um, if Ramsdale plays well against West Ham, then certainly his case will be only strengthened. It will put more pressure on David Ryan. That's that's all he can do. 
from his perspective. And then looking into the defence, you know, Tommy Atty will probably start. I think it'd be Kibion. You're probably having to play one of Gabriel or Saliba. And given that Saliba played at the weekend, it'll probably be Gabriel who plays. And maybe you look at bringing in one of the kids, Ruel Walters, Lino Sosa, one of those guys, or you play Cedric at right back if you want to. That'll probably be what I'm expecting. Sort of quite a heavy rotation at the back line. Um, midfield, I don't think Declan Rice will start on his return. I think it will probably be Jorginho or maybe even Moel Nenny. And then in front of them, you know, we don't know what situation Fabio Vieira has in terms of whether he'll be available for the game after the birth of his child. But if he is, I'd expect him to play and I'd expect him to play alongside Emil Smith-Rowe and Reese Nelson, Leon Trossard and probably Eddie up front. So I think that'll be the the lineup, which is a strong, strong lineup. You know, if we saw that in the Premier League, you know, maybe minus one of the defenders, um, you know, if, if Waters or Cedric or Sosa plays, I think we would be kind of fine with that from an Arsenal perspective. So, no, I think it's um, it's going to be, a, there's no real weak lineups in this Arsenal squad anymore because the depth is so strong. So, from West Ham perspective, I don't know how seriously they're going to take this because they've obviously got the Europa League. They've got a league campaign where they're not in the best of form right now. So, I expect David Moyes to make a few changes. They've got a tough games coming up in the Europa League where they'll be needing to win matches. So, yeah, it should be a game that Arsenal can win. And like you say, there's quarter final and there's the draws opened up quite nicely in the sense that a lot of the smaller teams have drawn against the smaller teams. So if Arsenal can get beyond this game against West Ham, there's a potentially very inviting Carabao Cup quarter final. And once you get to the quarterfinal stage of those competitions, you start taking them very seriously because there's a real chance of winning. And Winning breeds winning, and Pep Guardiola's first trophy at City was the Carabao Cup. So those are the kind of things that Nicolas Tata will be thinking about, and he certainly won't be turning his nose up at this competition, I don't think. No, he won't. Uh, no, he won't. Certainly not. You know, it's uh, it's a competition that obviously I think ranks below got a fair few other priorities that are on the Arsenal agenda this season, but. City have used that competition as a, as a something of a, a pedestal to build upon, especially because you can get silverware so early on in the season. Um, that it's, it would be a, a benefit for for Arsenal as well. Uh, and with City out, as you say, you know that has opened the door up. And you would look at that and you would say, if you would, I know that Arsenal rotate, but you'd say Arsenal are the favourites behind you know no one really. City are out, Spurs are out, who are currently leading the yeah, league as well. It's probably Arsenal, Liverpool, and then obviously Newcastle, Man United playing each other. It's it's probably between mm. three of those four. Spurs yeah, out too. Yeah. Good chance of silverware. <laughs> Let's see if Arsenal can get past West Ham, who, you know, have tried desperately to create a narrative over the last six months between us and them. And, uh, you know, if, if well, uh, Everton obviously got a result against them at the weekend, so they'll be looking to try and respond uh, as well. And then it's Newcastle. We won't have a podcast before that game. Really tough trip. Um, you're making me take it alone, which I'm, I'm happy to do. Um, but cold up north, and I'm sure you'll be enjoying what you're doing. But, uh, you know, how do you feel about Arsenal's chances in this one? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad not to be making that trip. I always love going out to Newcastle, actually. But, you know, I've got uh, something somewhere else to be that day, which is a very good excuse to be away. I'm sure, I'm sure we'll hear about it soon. But, um, yeah, it's a very difficult game, that. And this is one of the reasons why I expect Arteta to rotate so heavily against West Ham, is that Newcastle away... I think when Arsenal went up last season, no one expects them to win that game because it is one of the toughest games in Premier League and it's one of the toughest atmospheres to play in. It's one of the toughest uh, teams to play against. They'll do all the tricks in the book in terms of running the clock down, winding you up, getting into you whenever they can and whenever the referee's not looking. They're, they're masters of the dark arts at, at Newcastle. They know exactly what they're doing, but they've also got a lot of quality in their team. And I know Isak's injured, but Callum Wilson is scoring lots of goals. Anthony Gordon's finding form. Um, you know, Joel Linton's getting back to it. Bruno Gimaraes has looked pretty good. And they're a side who are doing, you know, pretty decent in the Champions League group where very few people expected them to. And PSG, who are a very, very good team, went there and struggled. So I think that shows you the dangers of 
what can happen to you if you're not on it at St James's Park. So Arsenal will go there knowing that they need to be on their top form and it's going to be a very difficult game, I think. It is. It's going to be very difficult and a, and a huge boost if Arsenal can get a good result there as well. Like you know, No one really expected Arsenal to go there and win last season. They did. Uh, they showed they couldn't really build on it at the end of last season. But this season, seeing it, you know, with it being so early on in the campaign, for once, I feel like we've played Newcastle at the end of the last couple of seasons and it's, it's cost us in that run that we had to the Bulls of the Champions League against Spurs, of course. It, it really damaged our, our child. In fact, I think it was the, the, the killing blow uh, that season to Arsenal's Champions League hopes. But uh, yeah, let's, let's wait and see what Arsenal do. Kai, thank you so much for your time any final thoughts before we wrap up no um just press conference blog coming tomorrow so tom is gonna be on that um follow him and he's doing the he's doing the press conference on friday as well for the newcastle game so we'll bring you coverage of the, the west ham game live and tom will be planning the ship for the newcastle game too so uh it's gonna be a very tom canton heavy week at football london but i'm so sorry guys. <laughs> no 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 you're very lucky uh audience so keep reading us keep following us on all the usual platforms and yeah thank you very much for tuning in guys Absolutely. Uh, you can follow Kai on Twitter at KaiKai97. You can follow myself at Tom Canton Media. You can keep up to date with all of our work, of course, as Kai says, at football.london. So please do let us know how you thought we've done in today's podcast. Of course, we were leaving a review on iTunes. You can rate us on Spotify and you can leave a comment down below in the comment section of our YouTube channel on the Arsenal Way as well. As we close in uh, on 100,000, we are less than 100 away. So if you aren't subscribed, subscribe uh, and hopefully we'll be hitting it in the next couple of who knows hours maybe we'll have to wait and see uh, thank you for all the support that you've given we always appreciate it. drop a like subscribe we'll see you again on the next one with our views from the clock ends and as you follow us down the arsenal way whether it's the legendary lionesses grassroots or expert analysis of the women's leagues women's football news has it all covered a brand new monthly magazine packed with news, interviews and expert opinion. Don't miss Women's Football News. Pick up a copy today from participating retailers. Women's Football is here to stay. And so are we.